You're listening to the Future Tech Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Future technologies such as artificial intelligence, stem cells, 3D printing, gene editing, Bitcoin, blockchain, the microbiome, quantum computing, virtual reality, and exploring space are much closer than you might think. In fact, many early versions of these technologies are in play right now, and the companies that are using these technologies are the focus of this podcast. My goal for you, the listener, is to learn from these podcasts. You may very well learn something that may change the course of your life for the better, steer you towards a new career, or give you insight into addressing a thorny medical problem. Remember, this podcast and its content is informational in nature only. No medical, tax, legal, financial, or psychological advice is being given. If you enjoyed the podcast, please listen, subscribe, like, and tell your friends about it. Thank you. Hello, this is Richard Jacobs with the Future Tech Podcast. I have Tiasa Zeke. Uh, she's the head of her own podcast called Faces of Digital Health. So Tiasa, thanks for coming. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Thank you for inviting me to the show. Yeah, tell me um, a little bit about your journey. You know, why focus on digital health? You know, unfortunately, you, I'm sure you probably have some kind of, you or someone you know has some kind of big health issue that maybe led you in this direction, but maybe I'm wrong. What's your backstory? <laughs> No, you're actually not wrong. So um, when right before I started high school, uh, I got diagnosed with IBD, which is a chronic condition. And um, I still decided to become a journalist, which is uh, a stressful job. And my mother advised me against um, going into the profession uh, because it would probably influence my, my disease. But I later studied uh, healthcare management and economics to understand healthcare beyond the patient perspective. And I ended up as a medical journal, uh, journalist for a Slovenian medical journal for doctors, uh, which enabled me to explore healthcare um, from a different perspective, focusing mostly on how doctors view healthcare and what kind of problems they're facing and what are the new discoveries uh, from the core medical science. Um, later uh, in my journalistic uh, journey, I started a podcast at the magazine that I was working for. Is It was first called Medicine Today on Digital Health. But then I moved to the healthcare IT industry as a business developer. But I still wanted to continue the podcast uh, that, as you mentioned, is called Faces of Digital Health. And there I'm trying to explore how different healthcare systems are adopting technologies. Um, because I really like to see how different cultures are approaching uh, the same problems or how problems differ based on the culture and based on the country. Um, yeah, so that's okay. in short. What, what um, to you, what's the most important part of health that needs to be solved sooner rather than later? Um, oh, that's a maybe a difficult question, but then again, um, based on how much I know about different healthcare systems, I would say that access to healthcare is still a very big issue um, in developing and developed countries. For example, I come from Slovenia and we have a public healthcare system. So that means that if you're employed, you are insured and you have access to healthcare. It's impossible to get bankrupt because of the healthcare costs here in, in Slovenia. Even, for example, if you lose your job and you are uh, jobless, 
you can uh, apply for a health insurance and it costs around 50 euros per month. And that still enables you to be completely covered 100% with the medical costs for expensive drugs in case you get a chronic condition or um, a rare disease or conditions that are usually very, very expensive. So on the other hand, if you look at the US or if you look at uh, a lot of Asian countries or African countries, you quickly see that a lot of expenses are out of pocket and there is a very small percentage of the population that is privately insured and has access to healthcare. So the culture that I come from, um, well, we believe that, you know, if you get a condition that you did nothing wrong um, to get it, that are genetic disorders or chronic conditions, um, it's really unfair that you would be treated differently or you wouldn't have access to healthcare to live your life just because of this condition that suddenly appears. Well, when you say accessibility to healthcare, do you mean, like I imagine some countries in Africa, you literally might have to walk 20 miles to go see a doctor. There's just none in your area. While in <laughs> developed countries, it could be, I can't afford health insurance and that limits my accessibility. Like when you talk about access, what do, you, do you mean all kinds of access or what, what kinds? Yeah, of yeah. Basically, access also because of the costs uh, related to healthcare. So, for example, um, I don't know who exactly, but one of the people that I spoke to, uh, a doctor or something. Oh, actually, it was, um, I don't know who, who it was. It was Hal Wolf from the, the CEO of HIMSS who said that, uh, you know, in, in, let's say, New York or in U.S., you can literally live next to a huge hospital, because, but because of the waiting times or because of the costs related to, to the healthcare, you actually actually don't have access because you can't afford it. So that's what I mean when I mean access to healthcare in the broader possible sense, either because of the distance or either because of the cost. So what have you learned? Like if you were to build your own healthcare system by assembling the pieces that you like from the systems you've seen, like what would it look like? What would it include? Oh, that that's a, actually a really, really difficult question because there's uh, various models that are interesting and it's fascinating to compare healthcare systems and see how many different uh, ways of approaching to healthcare they have. So, for example, the UK has a public system where um, the healthcare is paid through taxes. And um, I actually really, really liked uh, the system in Singapore where you are obliged to be uh, insured for healthcare, and they have some sort of uh, saving accounts where you collect the money that can be used then for your healthcare costs. You know, there's also uh, this question of how much should you contribute so uh, that you don't see healthcare as just something that you're entitled to. You know, that's that's a problem um, in in my environment because we don't pay anything for the drugs, we don't pay anything for the the visits at GPs, and um, that can cause that people go see doctors even when they don't really, really, really need to. You know, so like um, countries such as uh, Sweden uh, have systems where you have to pay a minimal fee when you see a doctor or France, for example, uh, you get an invoice just, just so you know how much 
the treatment that you got uh, costed. So um, yeah, if I had to, yeah, if I had to create a healthcare system, I guess I would look at something that enables accessibility um, as the UK system does and um, kind of incentivize people to be mindful uh, about their healthcare costs and save for the potential healthcare costs as Singapore did. What, um, what about people that are very sickly and older, which they tend to skew to be, versus the young people? <clears throat> like what should be asked for of uh, you know, a 22-year-old that feels great and has no kids? You know, how should they contribute to the healthcare system versus someone that's like 65 and has a couple of chronic conditions and needs a lot of care? Like, how do you reconcile those two within the same system? Well, I think the the key thing is that basically the Ministry of Health or the healthcare system is designed on the political level, you know, so because you're never going to convince young people that they don't have healthcare problems to um, do to save, you know, for when they're going to be old and when they're going to be sick. I think it's a similar thing with retirement funds where, um, uh, for example, some countries, Slovenia being one of them, have a problem because um, people want to just move towards a freelance model where you just you know get all the money that you that you make and don't put much money or any money in the retirement fund because uh, you know young people to a certain extent lost hope that they will ever retire so um when it comes to healthcare if you're healthy you of course don't think about uh, how it would be if you're ever going to be sick and so that's why i think healthcare needs to be solved uh, on a different level you know how many healthcare systems have you looked at you know over time with your podcast so um recently i started doing series and i recently did a series about asia i'm currently in the middle of a series about africa where i talk to people from tanzania uh, rwanda nigeria and south africa and then i randomly covered uh, also a lot of countries in europe I often talk to uh, experts from the US or Canada. So I'm, you know, really trying to look at the, the, the global perspective. I also had Australia. One continent that I really haven't covered yet is, is uh, South America. Uh, there is one interesting project going on there, and that's in Bolivia, where um, a VR surgeon uh, Shafi Ahmed is actually leading a very interesting uh, hospital that's supposed to incorporate all the newest technologies to enable the best possible 21st century patient experience. And you can listen a little bit more about that in one of the podcasts I did, which reminds me that I should probably do a follow-up um, because that was a year ago. And I'm sure that a lot of uh, things advanced in that project by today. Well, so what do you notice um, in the different continents and the different systems? Like, are there tons of different systems out there? Are there only a few variations? And like, which ones are more successful than others? Um, well, I think... Uh, an interesting thing that I can mention is that a lot of uh, Americans, when they, they when they move to Europe, 
are fascinated um, about the access to healthcare you can have in Europe. You know, the fact that you really don't have to worry that you would get in financial problems because you get sick. Um, another interesting thing that I recently heard uh, through my interviews was about Africa, where I talked to uh, an amazing entrepreneur from Tanzania, uh, Maria Kadushi uh, Samson, who is working on medical education. And what she told me there was um, fertility or teen uh, pregnancies are a big issue in Africa. And the reason there are so many teen pregnancies and later why, why women have a lot of children is because they're just not educated about uh, protection and um, just uh, how, to, how to manage, um, how, how can you prevent from getting pregnant. And so the thing is that they don't get educated a lot about that in schools. And what this entrepreneur's uh, startup is doing is they, they are providing um, medical information through mobile phones. Now, the interesting thing that she told me was that, for example, in Europe or in developed countries, we are talking a lot about data privacy and that means that we are concerned which company is keeping our data and where the data is going to land. But in Africa, where uh, the society in many parts is still very um, uh, patriarchic and um, uh, men are the, the heads of the family, you know, the concern about privacy from women's side is how can I prevent my husband from seeing what kind of information am I searching for, you know, because, you know, if somebody is looking up uh, symptoms of uh, STDs or pregnancy, you know, a husband might get suspect, um, suspicious. So, you know, that was one thing that really, really stuck with me. And it shows how different cultures uh, face very different problems and need very different solutions. Yeah, that's really interesting. Huh. Yeah, um, yeah. Do you think that a lot of countries get it right or their systems just a complete mess and how close to the mark, you know, is there any country you think that really is close to getting it right? I think, well, the thing is that if you look at reports about healthcare systems, you know, reports are very, um, how can I say, very stiff in a way. I think any system that you will look, uh, doctors will probably say that they are overburdened uh, with work, with workload. They would like to have more time with patients. And then if you compare the numbers, for example, um, Europe has between three and four doctors per thousand people and um, doctors are still dissatisfied. Let me just give you one comparison. Slovenia has two million people and we have 6,500 active doctors. And then a, a country like Rwanda has 12 million people, so six times as much as Slovenia, and they have less than 700 doctors, you know. So the differences can be really, really, really striking. Um, I think like China, for example, also has a lot, a lot of healthcare issues. But uh, if you look at the book, um, AI Super 
Powers by Kai Fu Li. And if you check some of the discussions that I had with people that are active in the health tech space uh, in Asia, um, they shared some very interesting stories about startups addressing um, healthcare access problems with, with new technologies. So um, China, uh, is really, really, really advanced when it comes to AI. And they've got, for example, Pingan Good Doctor is a startup that is um, that has an ecosystem for access to, to doctors. And I think they offer a triage which is based on AI. And their AI model was uh, designed by 200 AI specialists. They have 1,000 full-time uh, employed doctors and work with 5,000 part-time employed uh, doctor so that they can support 24-7 support for, for anyone who's, who enters the, the ecosystem. And it's, uh, okay, so from uh, an outsider perspective, that looks like just a platform, you know, that enables you to uh, do telemedicine and just access a doctor when you need one. But when you see what kind of problems China faces, that uh, people actually don't trust their primary care physicians and travel to, to big hospitals in big cities, and they literally wait for days in a hospital to get just a five-minute consultation with the doctor. When you, if you, if you Google the news and see the, the situation in the hospitals there, then you can really see what kind of an impact a solution like Ping and Good Doctor has. So, um, you know, that's another example why I'm really fascinated about how different healthcare systems approach different uh, healthcare problems. So what, um, what do you want your role to be? You're bringing information to this, to, you know, to your listeners in the podcast, but Beyond that, what do you see as your role in improving healthcare systems or access to it around the world? Um, well, so uh, basically, the uh, another thing that I'm doing, which is actually my full-time job, is I'm a business developer for a company called Better. And uh, I'm in the team that's in, uh, that's uh, working on a medication management software for hospitals. Um, when I was doing my master's degree uh, in healthcare management and economics, I compared how different hospitals um, manage drugs. You know how drugs go from the pharmacy to the ward what kind of problems uh, arise in these uh, transmissions. And what the team that I'm in does is we provide a digitized way for hospitals at the moment prevalently in the NHS to manage patients as, uh, as easily as possible. You know, So when you're admitted to the hospital, that the pharmacist has an easy way to do the medication reconciliation. So to create all the, the, the chart of all the medications that you're taking. And then when the doctor prescribes new uh, drugs, the pharmacist can in the same system easily check if there's a problem with the different medications that you have to take. And then in the end, the nurse has an easy electronic way of looking at which drugs she has to administer in which way and when. Now, this perhaps might uh, seem as nothing special for, for the U.S. listeners because uh, the IT is much more advanced there. But, um, 
in the NHS, specifically in the UK, a lot of things, like a lot of things are still done on paper. So we're digitizing this part of, of the healthcare system. I mean, here it's only very recently that things have gone off paper. But, you know, when you go to the hospital or the doctor, you still get asked multiple times and you got to write stuff on paper and it doesn't seem to be nearly as integrated as uh, as it could be. There's still a lot of room for improvement, it seems like. Yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely. That's why um, there's uh, an increasing emphasis on ideas that you would have a personal healthcare record that you would basically carry around to different uh, healthcare professionals or there's networks that enable you to give or revoke access to your medical record um, based on the doctors that you wish to interact with. So, yeah, yeah. I mean, um, healthcare IT and EHR are, are a complex topic for sure. Well, one thing too is let's say you're 50 years old, you know, you've been going to the doctor probably for 30 years, you know, and you need to go to a new doctor. How do you get all your old health information? You know, even the past 10, 20 years or all the relevant stuff right now, you have to call it up from memory. But if there yeah. was a way to keep that electronically in one spot, so you didn't have to go ask doctors to get it for you and it was pooled in one area under your control and you could share that with your new doctor, it would make treatment a lot better, I would think. Yeah, I think like new generations, babies, you know, young people that are aging slowly, they're they're going to have this advantage that their medical records are going to be more digitized and you are going to have more history in um, in an electronic form. I think like for people who are 50 or older uh, today, you know, nobody's going to go digitize um, healthcare records uh, to, to, that are on paper at the moment because that would just be uh, too much work. Um, so... Yeah, um, there, there's a lot of companies that are trying to, to address these issues. So um, let's see who, who's going to be the market leader in that sense. Well, what's your sense of what's possible in the next few years, you know, with the NHS or in general? What, do you, what, what big changes do you see coming in the near term? Well, um, I mean, personally, I... Uh, so one of the series that I did was also about... AI in healthcare. And I must say that a thing that really fascinated me was the potential of voice uh, assistance in healthcare. I remember that two years ago, I um, was at Health 2.0 in Santa Clara, and everybody was already so excited about voice technologies. And at the time, I didn't quite get what's the what's the fuss about it, you know? But after an interview with Bill Rogers from Orbita, I really um, grasped like how different it is if you say something to a machine and that machine is able to give you some feedback compared to if you need to type something in an app and record it, you know, it's, it's less work, it's faster to use your voice. And uh, if, you, if you check Orbita, you're already going to see use cases of um, really amazing potentials that we'll see in healthcare. One thing that I am kind of wondering is, you know, because like all these technologies cost something, you know, so I am wondering if new technologies are going to bring more access. This also refers to 
advancements in diagnostics, which you know is expensive to a certain level. So um, if all these new things cost a lot, does this mean that basically the, the people that can't afford them are going to be in a disadvantage because they won't use all the sensors or and all the data capturing devices and uh, systems that can um, combined bring insights about yourself. So there's there's a lot of uh, questions that are going to be open, but I'm keeping my eye on what's happening with voice technologies and how they are making um, all the um, uh, contact with IT systems and digitization more user-friendly. Well, very good. Well, Tessa, what's the best way for people to get in touch with you as your well, questions, you know, uh, pay you a so, million dollars to consult with their, their healthcare system? How do they get in touch? <laughs> well, the easiest way is to just, you know, go to the uh, website of the podcast, which is www.facesofdigitalhealth.com. And they can also find me on Twitter. My handle is at Z-A-J-C-T-J-A-S-A. So that would be a good start. Well, very good. Jessa, thank you for coming on the podcast. And the work you're doing is, uh, it has a lot of potential to really help a lot of people. So thank you for what you do. Thank you for inviting me. You're listening to the Future Tech Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Future technologies such as artificial intelligence, stem cells, 3D printing, gene editing, Bitcoin, blockchain, the microbiome, quantum computing, virtual reality, and exploring space are much closer than you might think. In fact, many early versions of these technologies are in play right now, and the companies that are using these technologies are the focus of this podcast. My goal for you, the listener, is to learn from these podcasts. You may very well learn something that may change the course of your life for the better, steer you towards a new career, or give you insight into addressing a thorny medical problem. Remember, this podcast and its content is informational in nature only. No medical, tax, legal, financial, or psychological advice is being given. If you enjoyed the podcast, please listen, subscribe, like, and tell your friends about it. Thank you.